Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. Thanks for joining us today as the Buffalo Bisons have hit the pseudo-All-Star break. There is no AAA All-Star game this season, but minor league baseball in AAA enjoying a four-day break from July the 18th through the 21st. The Bisons will be back in action on Friday, July the 22nd, beginning a nine-game, ten-day homestand. The first three games against Rochester, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, July 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Then an off day on Monday the 25th. Then Buffalo welcomes in the Worcester Red Sox for their second trip to Salem Field this year, closing out the month of July. The Bisons have played 90 games this season. There's just 60 games to go in the 2022 regular season, and there is a bunch towards the top of the IL East Division standings as we record this. And as we have a couple of days before the ceremonial second half of the season gets underway, I thought it'd be a good chance to check in with Kelly Candell, the brother of now former Bison manager Casey Candell, as Kelly has an interesting story. We know about Casey and his mother, Helen, being the lone mother-son combination to play professional baseball, but it was actually Kelly's documentary, it's titled A League of Their Own, that was made and produced for public television that resulted in what would be the screenplay for the movie version of A League of Their Own, and Kelly actually joined the Bisons earlier on this season when the team was in Rochester and then came back home. Unfortunately, we're rained out, and we didn't have a chance to sit on the broadcast with Kelly at all and talk to him about uh, making the documentary. So as we have a couple of days off for the Bisons before they begin the final 60-game stretch of the season, I had a chance to catch up with Kelly, talk to him not only about the documentary, but also what it has meant over these past 30 years to have such an inspirational movie continue to resonate today. First of all, for folks that I know a lot of people in Buffalo here know um, your family story and your mom's story and, and how you're involved in League of Their Own. But for those that, that don't know it, could you just give us the, the background and in, in the history behind how you made and why you made the documentary that eventually led to the movie? Yeah, you know, I, I heard stories talking to my mother growing up, of course, about her playing in this uh, professional baseball league. And it struck me, like it struck many people, as kind of odd. You know, I had never heard about uh, this league. Uh, very few people had, I think, uh, maybe historians of baseball. It was kind of an obscure corner of, of baseball history. But when I graduated college and moved to uh, Los Angeles, I, I started thinking about uh, if this league actually took place and lasted 10 years and it was a professional women's league in the 1940s, what an interesting subject. And, and what an unknown part of American uh, sports history and cultural history. So I uh, started talking to my mom, collecting footage, went around talking to some of the women that she uh, put me in touch with that uh, played in the league. Many of them had uh, old 16 millimeter footage in their garage or, or wherever they stored that stuff and, and put together a little trailer that showed the women playing, what great athletes they were, that this league existed in the 1940s during World War II and showed it to a local uh, public uh, broadcasting station. And they loved it and helped uh, fund the project uh, as a documentary that eventually uh, screened and aired on national public uh, television. So it was just a fantastic uh, exploration of, of family history and American history and sports history. And if, after that debuted, and, and can you take us through maybe the process of, you know, Penny Marshall sees, sees the documentary, and, and how did that whole process of 
adapting what your documentary into a screenplay and and creating characters based on your mother Helen and her sister and and all that that kind of entailed. Yeah, Penny Marshall saw it on on national uh, television, and she's a great baseball fan or was a great baseball fan. She passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, had just done a couple of very successful movies. And uh, she, so she had a lot of clout in Hollywood and she saw, saw the documentary and oddly enough invited me to her birthday party, you know, you know, up in the Hollywood Hills and, you know, Robert De Niro was there and Bruce Willis and, and uh, all of these other people, you know, famous uh, stars. Uh, I didn't know what, what to say to any of them, uh, but um it was a unique experience and she was really excited about adapting it into a, a feature film and uh, i wrote what they call a treatment in in hollywood which was a bunch of characters my mom my aunt i switched them from the positions that they did have to pitcher catcher because there's more tension and possible conflict between a pitcher catcher relationship and uh, all these other interesting characters that were based uh, somewhat on the women that, that were in the documentary that, that I had interviewed. And uh, then she took it to uh, 20th Century Fox, the Times Studio, and, and they agreed to do it. Um, there was some casting problems, so it got sold essentially to Columbia Pictures who eventually produced the movie. I think it cost $40 million to, to make. Uh, during the, uh, what they call the pre-production process before they start shooting, you know, we met with uh, Penny and myself and my, my, my partner, Kim Wilson, met with Penny and, and, write, and screenwriters Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, working out a story and kind of the, the shape of the story, what it would look like uh, when it was finally, finally developed. And uh, then they, you know, when, when it went into production, they started tryouts at USC where they brought all these, these women act, actresses to a tryout with the uh, famous baseball coach Rod Dato over at USC. He had won the national championship a number of times. So they could see whether the women could actually play. And many of there's so many great uh, female athletes out there today, and some of them are, are actors. Gina Davis was a great athlete. Um, Madonna was pretty good, pretty, pretty good skills, and uh, then put together the, the cast. So, so it was really fascinating to see how that process developed and then see, see them create. I mean, this is the, the magic of Hollywood, of course, but create the 1940s, you know, the cars, the clothes, the environment, the, the music, the dancing. It was just really a terrific and wonderful experience. I mean, they had to wear the dresses, of course, because Philip Wrigley wanted it to be have a feminine angle to the league. So that was odd and, and unique and interesting. Uh, but it was a great experience to, to watch the, the Hollywood machine um, go into high gear, you might say. And, you know, we're 30 years removed from the release of the movie now. And could you have ever imagined, you know, 30 years later that it still resonates the way it did back then to, to the way it does now and how, you know, there continues to be people that are finding out the story for the first time, maybe young girls just hearing about this and, and now helping them uh, get involved in sports because of it. Yeah, that's one of the greatest uh, joys of the whole thing, that the impact that it had on the, on the culture. Um, and, you know, all, all these years later, I still meet young women, especially young female athletes who 
have seen the movie, it inspired them, it made them feel like, you know, they could be successful too and, and go on to an athletic uh, career. I mean, mothers and fathers and families take their young kids, um, well, not so much to the movie theater now, but show the film to them. It's on every week on cable, television somewhere. Um, so it's it's a really uh, great feeling to know the impact that, that the movie had and people enjoyed it. It was obviously funny. Uh, and Tom Hanks was great. I mean, the characters were great. So uh, that, that's a really uh, fulfilling part of this whole, whole experience that it keeps on going, going forward. I know in reading uh, one of your essays recently, you talk about it being an evergreen movie. And, you know, it, it really resonated with me because I remember um, 30 years ago, my parents taking me and my younger brother to see it. And, and you know, you kind of see the relationship in, in, in the, the, the main characters and the, how they relate, the sisters relate to each other and how maybe me and my brother, uh, you know, our relationship was and, and continues to grow to this day. So that, that's, I think, the, the quality of this movie that, that you hit the nail on the head of, you know, pretty much anybody can, can watch this movie and come away with something and make it feel like, you know, it, it's a part of them as well. Yeah, there's a real nostalgic aspect to it, obviously. I mean, it was very emotional watching it. Um, my mom was sick at the time and, and passed away during the, during the year that it came out. So it was very emotional for everyone in, in my family. And, uh, but there is that, that sense of how anyone who's played sports you know, can look back on their team, their teammates, the great experiences that they had that helped uh, shape them, the impact that their coaches had or managers uh, had on them. So, and baseball is so much a part of uh, American culture anyways. Uh, so many people now, young boys and young girls play the game. So there's a nostalgic aspect about it and, and uh, looking back on how athletics can help uh, shape you in a positive way. And now here we are in 2022 and, and Amazon is about to release uh, a new series of, um, based on a league of their own. And, you know, it's now another generation of people that, that get to hear the stories as well. So, you know, what, what was that like, I guess, you know, in, in knowing that that was going to be coming out. And I even know somebody that uh, works with, for the Rochester Red Wings, who is actually an extra in, in, the, in the show and is one of the outfielders. So even, you know, a lot of different connections that way, I feel like you know, it, it's pretty neat that that's coming out soon. Yeah, you know, you know, after the, the original movie came out, they did do um, a television series called The League of Their Own. I think it was seven or eight episodes and it kind of dissipated. You know, the, the last episode I think had a, a monkey on the field. So uh, once you start putting animals on, on the field, you know you're running out of ideas, but... <laughs> But this one, I think, is going to explore the, the new Amazon uh, series is going to explore different aspects of the 1940s, the women's experience, um, the culture of the time, you know, maybe the, a little bit of the politics of the time uh, in this series. I haven't seen any of the episodes, so I don't know. I, I'd like to write about it and, and think about it when it comes out and reflect on American history and and how this new series uh, reflects different aspects of Americans, American history, women's history, African-American history. Um, so I'm looking forward to it myself. And uh, again, it's fascinating that, that it keeps generating new creative ideas. This, this one little documentary uh, that started on PBS, it's just uh, really an amazing, uh, amazing to think about it in those terms that it's had such a lasting energy you know, an impact. 
And speaking of lasting impact, I know one of the more debated topics around the movie surrounds one of the final scenes where, you know, Dottie drops the ball when her, her sister, uh, they collide at home plate. And did it happen on purpose or was it uh, just, just to kind of, it happens in the moment? You weighed in on that yourself and you know, were you surprised maybe at how much uh, interest that kind of generated? Yeah, it was a debate that took place you know, mostly online and, and some articles here and there about fan uh, between fans of the movie. And did she drop it on purpose to help her sister? Was it knocked out of her hands just a, as a play? <clears throat> and I thought anyone who's, and I wrote an essay about this, I thought anyone who's played professional sports or any sports uh, would know that that no player, whether it's your sister on the other team or your brother on the other team or your friend on the other team, no player would drop a ball on purpose, especially in a World Series uh, deciding game because it would betray your own teammates, uh, one thing. I mean, that's, that's obvious. So anyone who's played sports probably wouldn't even think that that would be a possibility. It was it was playing on the uh, certain emotions in the in the game in the uh, movie that that I think pe some people took the wrong way because to drop a ball on purpose you're essentially cheating to lose and uh, no athlete that I've ever met I know I know it's taken place in games in the past uh, rarely but uh, no athlete professional athlete that I've ever met or known about. Uh, cheated to lose. Um, you can go back to the you know the 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 scandals in the distant past, but anyone uh, that I've ever met in recent times, I've never heard of such a thing. So um, I weighed in on it and and reflected on the nature of uh, sports and baseball as a rule governed uh, activity. and that there are certain things in our culture where you have audiences and the audiences are there. In, in some sense, to make sure that the rules are, are followed and that people are playing uh, fairly. Uh, now, I guess they have people, you know, the umps checking the, the pitcher's uh, gloves or what have you at the end of each inning to make sure they don't have substances, but uh, that would be cheating to win. Um, but yeah, so I weighed in on it and, and said, you know, my mom would never drop a ball on purpose, especially for her, her sister and, and betray her teammates like that. Yeah, it's just so, so many different things in, in that article, and, and I'll share it on, online because I, I thought it was a great read and, and uh, really thought-provoking. You mentioned about, you know, there has to be a winner, there has to be a loser. There's so many things that we kind of take for granted, I think, as an athlete or in sports, but that kind of reflect on, as you mentioned, kind of society and how everything is rule-based, and you have the arbiter of the umpire or an official in, in football, and, and that all kind of is just part of the collective sports um, I guess, um, legacy. Yeah. I mean, I, I said, there's a reason that the managers and the umpires meet, uh, at, at home plate, because you're telling people that, you know, this is going to be not an arbitrary, um, experience or an arbitrary game, but it, it's governed by rules. And the, the umpires are there to enforce those rules to the best of their ability. Uh, same thing in football, the, the players and the refs meet in the middle of the field and, and the rules are, are basically established or at least visually shown to, to, to exist so that some sense of fairness. I mean, all, all sports have uh, randomness to them and that's what makes them interesting and, and great. You know, a ball gets through just barely or 
you know, a throw goes wild or what have you. So, I mean, what do you, you lose, you know, great teams lose what 60 games a year, maybe mm -hmm. uh, in baseball. So there's a randomness to, to the sport, which, which makes it interesting and nobody can play it perfectly. And if, if people played it perfectly, it would be boring. So philosophically, there's some interesting aspects to it that I was also kind of playing around with in, in the, in the essay that, um, the great athletes that you see on the on the bison's field are playing at the top of their their skill level and that's what people come to see and that's why they should be re respected so um, yeah it's just really interesting and fascinating when you start looking at the elements of the game that that challenges and you know as we take a look at your relationship with your brother casey and I know recently we met in, in Buffalo. Unfortunately, the game was rained out. You joined us in Rochester and, and took part in women's and sports night as well. Um, you know, what is it like as a brother to see Casey not only be the only um, mother and son combination to make professional baseball in the major leagues, but now to have a successful career helping develop the next level of talent uh, the way he kind of has? Yeah, it's everybody in our family is so so proud of what he accomplished. There were a lot of people that that didn't think he could make the uh, major leagues. You know, the small guy, um, and didn't have you know all star skills or what have you. But but was it was just totally determined and and a great athlete and talented and smart about the game of baseball. So I think that that was the most interesting thing to see how much he knows about the game and, and I had a chance to sit with the other coaches, you know, Chris Ware and, and Corey and uh, Devon White at, uh, because there was a rain out. So we just sat around talking and you realize how uh, intelligent these, these coaches are and how much they know and care about the game and how much they want to help these players achieve the, the highest potential that they can. I mean, in fact, the player that was being sent up to uh, the major leagues came in when we were sitting around the, the office and was heading off to uh, Toronto. And it was so wonderful because the coaches were so proud of, of this player and so happy that he was getting this opportunity in his, in his life and his career. So to see all those be behind the scenes moments was really uh, terrific and how much these coaches uh, put in and how dedicated they are to help these guys advance. And one thing I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I, I remember when Casey was talking about, uh, you know, growing up in, in your mother instilling that, you know, hustle and, and effort doesn't take any talent. And, and I wonder how much of that, when you talk about Casey, maybe not being the biggest guy or the most talented, but he always had the heart. He always had the hustle. And yeah. that's what I feel like he instills in the players today. And is that something maybe all, all of you kind of had, have taken into your everyday life? Uh, all of uh, you mean our family? Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's probably true. I mean, you know, my parents, my mom especially, said that you you hustle on every play, and you know you do it for yourself and you do it for your team, and uh, it, it pays off. It sure sure paid off for for Casey, and I think that's what he tries to tell those those players that run on every play. You know how many times um, do you do you get thrown out by half a step? You know maybe sliding into second base, and if you if you're running hard on every, on every play, every ball that you hit, how many times are you going to be safe as opposed to out? And how many times will that determine the outcome of the game? So I think those little things that that really uh, separate really good teams from 
you know, maybe mediocre teams or teams that aren't so successful. Those are the things that I know that he tries to instill in the players, all the coaches do. And uh, I think it pays off. I, at least it seems to me that it has with the, with the Bisons. And, and as you got to spend some time with Casey and the coaching staff here and, and see kind of, you know, what the day-to-day -day life is like, you know, you look at it and, and Casey still has time to go, you know, visit different locations or different parts of history. And, and how, what, what things did maybe you guys kind of uh, experience when you were here in Western New York together, whether it was Buffalo or Rochester? Well, we, we um, went to see a lot of the places where uh, Frederick Douglass, one of the, one of the great uh, people in American history, abolitionist and um, former slave, <clears throat> had an impact on, on Abraham Lincoln when, when Lincoln was president. He, he lived in, in Rochester for, I think, over 20 years. So we went around and saw the impact of his legacy in Rochester in the United States. And I had read a biography on, on Frederick Douglass before coming to Rochester and was really interested in, in seeing some of those uh, landmarks. So uh, we did that. And so when you're in a place and you have some time and you're not golfing maybe, um, <laughs> there's some really interesting history there. Same, same with Buffalo. And uh, I didn't get a, as much of a chance to look at the history of Buffalo, but it, it's a fascinating uh, town and, and area. And, and before we wrap up, I just wanted to go back for a moment and, and congratulate you, your, your family. I've talked to Casey about it. Um, your mom being inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, being the first um, female athlete to be inducted. You know, what, what do those honors still this many years later in, in again, helping to grow the knowledge of what um, all the women of the, of, of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League accomplish and, and how, um, you know, how proud does that make you all that you can now go to an exhibit in, in Canada at Cooperstown and, and help, you know, share on that, that history? Yeah, that was one of the other gratifying things that, that all of these women, including my mom, got some recognition you know, later in their life, and they were all inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, my mom and the Canadian Hall of Fame. <clears throat> so that was a, a great legacy for her or our family. Um, I was I was proud that that toward the end of her life, she, she got some of that that recognition and notoriety. She wasn't a, a real talkative person, kind of shy. But you know, we went on the Brian Gumbel show on, on the, on the today show and Arsenio hall. We, you know, we did these, some of these things that were kind of fun um, and made her, you know, a little bit of a, a celebrity. So that was cool. Well, that's great stuff. And Kelly, I, I hope we get the chance to see you here in Buffalo again soon. Thanks for taking some time today and, you know, continued success in everything that you do and looking forward to, to seeing the, the next project you put out. Hey, thank you very much. Go Bison's. Thanks again to Kelly for taking the time to join us here in the Power Alley this week and continued success to Casey as he is the interim bench coach for the Toronto Blue Jays who entered the All-Star break on a three-game winning streak, taking the final three games against Kansas City. We know Casey is going to do very well in his new interim position as the interim bench coach for the Toronto Blue Jays and look forward to seeing his continued success at the big league level. Well, the Bisons enter the All-Star break at 46-44, and 44, dropping the final game of the series against Iowa on Sunday afternoon. The Iowa Cubs winning in walk-off fashion, but the Bisons took three out of six. So getting back into the win column on a consistent basis for the Bisons after their two-week skid heading into this final series before the All-Star break. The Herd are 
Three games back of the division leaders, Lehigh Valley now leads the way, having won four straight going into the All-Star break, taking four in a row from Charlotte. The Iron Pigs, followed by Durham and Jacksonville, tied for second place, while Rochester two games back. Same for Worcester, 47-43, and and those will be the Bisons' next two opponents. The Herd get back to action on Friday night, July the 22nd, for lacrosse night at the ballpark in conjunction with our friends at the Buffalo Bandits. The Herd will wear special orange and black-themed jerseys and special caps as well. Many of those will be raffled off. Some are currently up for auction right now, heading into Friday night's game. Saturday night, the much-anticipated Bo Bichette bobblehead giveaway to the first 4,000 fans through Inspired Dental Gate at Swan Street. And also note the special gate opening time on Saturday night at 4.30. So if you're trying to get a Bo Bichette bobblehead, you'll want to get to the ballpark early on Saturday night. We'll close out the series against the Red Wings on Sunday afternoon for a 105 first pitch. Always a Buster's Kids Club Sunday. After an off day on Monday, the Herd welcome in the Worcester Red Sox for a six-game series, and then it's back on the road for the Bison. So the Herd, a chance to gain ground on the teams right in front of them in the division standings with the Bisons three games out, sixth place in the IL East, but a chance if they can win, especially two out of three, maybe even sweep against Rochester next week to move in front of them, and then a six-game series against the Worcester Red Sox, another team directly in front of the Herd in the division standings. There's a lot of great promotions still on tap for the final two months of the season. A 60-game sprint to the end. The Bisons have now played 90 games on the season and a 150-game schedule. Now 60 games to go, and it'll be a fun final two-plus months of the regular season for the Herd and the rest of the International League. Hope you can join us at the ballpark. And remember, you can always head over to Bisons.com and see a lot of the great promotional information and ticket options that come your way for the final 60 games of the regular season with a bulk load of those coming at Salem Field. Thanks for joining us in this all-star edition of the Power Alley podcast. Until next time, I'm Pat Malacaro.